What's up, y'all? My name is Jake. And my name is Carl. We want to welcome all to Do You Even Lift Bro? Men Exercising Social Justice. Thank you for tuning in as Carl and I will talk about the man box and ask ourselves the question, is the man box changing and shifting? How's it going, Carl? You know, Jake, I still cannot contain my excitement. So this is episode yeah. two for us, and I'm excited to roll through and figure this stuff out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I love I'm, still being here. So <laughs> How you doing, Jake? Yeah, it's awesome. I I still love being in the studio and just like trying to work things out with you. It's just just a blast. Word. So what is the man box? I have tons of ideas around this, and I don't even know where to start. Yeah. What's the first thing that comes to mind for you? Um... Basically just how like it contains our like notion of masculinities and how they really show up. Yeah. Right. Like this is masculinity one-on-one stuff right here. Like if people ask what is masculinity, I really hope that they can turn to this and be like, Oh, okay. Right. It's starting to make sense. And so one of the, like, I think the key components here about what the man box is, um, it's really societal expectations, right? It's stuff that people kind of just have made up and maybe a lot of people take it to be true. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think in this context, we're like, we're going to be using some like kind of generalizations around some of these words and um, also what the kind of these concepts are. Um, but we're pretty confident that this is like something that is very general and very like kind of universal for folks in the U S yeah. Particularly in the United States. Right. Mm-hmm. Like um, I'm an educator here at Colorado state and um and actually you are too, Jake. I don't know why I'm yeah. short. <laughs> it's my bad. It's okay. You're good. Uh, but you and I, between the two of us, we've done 50 to 60 gender box activities and a gender box consists of making a box and asking a group of random people what it means to be a man today. It has just been kind of consistent for the four years that I've been here and beyond that I've been doing it. Um, I don't know if you experienced the same thing, but yeah, for sure. I mean, like I I'll do that activity with like just a group of students and, or just be a part of it with you. And like, it's the same exact words on the box and it's the same exact like meanings of gender. Yeah. And we end up on the plaza from time to time or outside and asking a bunch of random people, like what are the first three words that come to mind when we ask you what it means to be a man? And I don't know. We have all those papers. We have all Mm -hmm. that recorded and there's just a lot of patterns that come up and these are legitimately never the same person. Right. And so when we are doing this podcast, we're going to try to really not use generalities. Like we understand that everyone's experience is unique. We understand that it's really, really difficult to say all things are this because there's always going to be exceptions to all those things. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to this concept of the man box, I think it's really, really important for folks to understand, like it's a thing and it's pretty narrow and it's pretty well-defined and it's pretty well-enforced in terms of some of the words that are in there, right? I mean, I think we should go through them for sure. I'm thinking like aggressive and strong. Like those are the two like most common words in the box. Yeah, strong comes up legitimately every freaking time, Mm -hmm. right? And I think what's particularly interesting about the word strong for me is I know or feel like maybe, I don't know if I know, Mm -hmm. most people when they associate strength with men, it's usually physical strength and maybe a little bit of like emotional stoicism in a sense. Mm-hmm. Right. But when I think about if we call a woman strong, we're not ne- we're never talking about uh, her physical strength. Right. We're mm-hmm. talking about her ability to what, I don't know, carry the family or like not cry. Maybe I don't, I don't even know yeah. um, how the word strong resonates with women. Yeah, definitely. Like it, I think that connotation of strong is just so interesting, especially for, we do kind of generalize with women is like if they're like strong and they're like aggressive, they're viewed as like a bit 
or crazy or like something along the lines of that. And like when men are viewed as strong and aggressive, they're like as leaders and like passionate, passionate and like confident. For sure. You know? That's what this concept of the man box is, right? Like it's things that men are expected and supposed to be. So it's strong. It's tough. It's like sports, good drivers, cars, guns, mm-hmm. bacon, uh, beer, <laughs> video games, weed, uh, athletic, athletic, leader, leader, funny, funny. You're just going to repeat me. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> intelligent. Intelligence yeah. in there. It's like suits, suits, beards. suave. Short hair. Short hair. Okay. <laughs> Jinx. Uh, <laughs> fearless. Fearless. Risky. Adventurous. Adventurous. Yeah. Mm, I'm doing it now. Yeah. <laughs> Emphasis. Outspoken. Can be loud. Can be heard. Make me a sandwich. Watch porn. Watch porn. Hungry. <laughs> Horny. Horny. Muddy. Like you can get dirt on you and be like dirty and rugged. Yeah. Outdoorsman. Handyman. Pretty sure people get the gist, right? Like, my theory is that if we send everyone out into like a dark room on their own and try to come up with this box, most people will emerge with very similar terms on the inside of the box, right? The reason why we call it a box is so what's the outside of the box? When men exhibit qualities that aren't sort of inside the box, aren't the words that we listed, then we start using terms that the FCC won't let us use on the radio. Um, but I think it's really important to think about what those terms are because those are the terms that maintain the gender box, right? Those are the words that are meant to cut and meant to put men down in order to try to shape men into this emotionless, I can't believe we didn't say emotionless, yeah. um, non-crying, right? Mm-hmm. But angry and then eventually violent in terms of behavior. And so the words on the outside, Jake, when I think about them are almost always feminized in some way. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, the, yeah. And it kind of goes back to this notion of like the worst thing a man can be is a woman. And yeah, those words of like weakness and like being a sissy, like stuff like that or um, punk or punk. Or, yeah. Or soft. Yeah. And kind of like, or like, I guess beta too. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And how, I guess as like dudes doing the, this work also be labeled that as well as like all these beta males are just like having a mangina conference. Yeah. And it's just like, no, like we're just trying to be nice people and good human beings. Like not that hard. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Right. And so not only I think are the terms on the outside feminized in many ways. So the word, one of the words that ends up on the outside is gay as an insult or homo words like put words like words like fat. They also have some connotation of sexualization in them too. The, Slurs that we use against each other as men, particularly the ones that pertain to sexuality, like f***ing gay, automatically excludes this entire group of men from even being considered man, right? Like, mm-hmm. And we see that manifest and result in really high rates of not just violence done to trans men and gay men, but the suicide rates in those communities are also inc- like disproportionately high. With that, it kind of deletes this identity. And like you said, this identity of being a gay man or being a trans man, like, and they just feel like they can't exist in this kind of world of being a man. Um, And I think that's like, just this like box kind of contains that. And if you don't identify within this kind of, kind of these spots of like being a man, like if you don't like bacon, if you don't like to, if you're not heterosexual, like you're kind of like limited to what gender you want to be. So when we think about this gay men 
don't exist as men. They only exist as gay in the world of masculinity. What I find fascinating about the man box in particular is a little bit of his flexibility too, right? Mm -hmm. I often think that since I am 25% deaf, I uh, identify as mixed race. Those to me have been areas of inadequacy in my life when it comes to the theory of being a man, right? And so my response to constantly having to question my racial identity and my ability status, my response was to be as like manly as possible, right? So I beefed up, I played sports, I talked I was your stereotypical jock bastard in high school and probably more of my undergrad than I care to admit. And I believe that this process of masculinity allows for the flexibility of if you're not going to be the tallest, most athletic guy, at least be funny as hell. If you're not going to be this, if you're going to then be really, really good at that. And there, I think there allows for some flexibility there. Yeah, definitely. Like I can relate on like, cause I am also a person that identifies as disabled. And I think that has really shown up in high school and some of my undergrad as well of like, I need to be athletic. I need to be funny. I need to kind of distract myself from me knowing that I have this learning disability and kind of distract people from making sure that they notice that I have it. Um, so this, like, there's a lot of pressure of like making sure reading in front of like other people was really like a, a skill I could learn or, um, making sure that like I was good at baseball and like also being like this, I wanted to be like a stand up comic. And that was like something that my masculinity was like really shot, like kind of coming up of like, I also am learning that like, yeah, me, me being a funny person is like part of my masculinity and how that shows up and how I kind of dominate spaces with like trying, trying to be just the funny dude, you know, we're kind of hinting at this concept that the man box might actually shift and look differently for people with different identities. Right. So mm -hmm. in a very stereotypical traditional masculine box, we'll always have words like aggressive and angry in there for white dudes. We kind of talked about earlier how it can be seen as that guy's passionate or go getter or really wants that promotion or whatever. If you shift the racial identity of that from white to black, well, a black person who's angry in the United States or aggressive in the United States kind of it just tends to get shot. Um, and for Asian American men, that those words might not even exist in there. And so we have to really think about how this box shifts based on the identities that shift with it. And that's why we try to say the word masculinities way more than the word masculinity in an effort to recognize how different masculinities can be for different people. If we're thinking about like aggression and like anger, um, kind of yeah, going back to like your point of like being, yeah, I could be labeled as like aggressive and angry and like be like, oh yeah, he's just a good leader. Like, <laughs> and just like this kind of stupid of like me having more credibility than like a, an Asian dude or a black dude or a Latinx dude. Like it kind of gives my race gives that more credibility, um, which is just fascinating and also harmful at the same time. So I think that kind of leads me to really understand or begin to understand at least sort of the root of problematic slash toxic masculinity, right? When you combine all of these really sort of stringent ideals of what it means to be a man, which includes this level of you cannot be vulnerable, you can't share how you feel, the only appropriate way to express yourself is through anger slash violence. If I think about the escapes that men have in their lives, I think about football, I think about video games, and I think about porn. And all of those 
I mean, video games is a huge variety of stuff, but almost all of those forms of media have some level of violence in it mm-hmm. as a place for men to escape. And so when I connect those two things, it makes me really worried about what the man box is doing in terms of the socialization of men. And I honestly personally believe that this training this manual for how to be a man that we're all handed even before we're born right because what's the color that people use to associate with boys being birthed it's blue which ends up in the box sometimes but i personally really truly believe that the destruction of this box will be the destruction of violence in our country yeah definitely because <laughs> uh, i agree on everything uh, <laughs> i think yeah also like going back to those escape routes i think there's also like a think about like like men going on walks by themselves or like, like just sitting in a room by themselves or reading like and journaling. I think some of those are good in the ways that like loneliness is okay. But I think like if that's, there's a big degree of that also with like video games and like sports is like, you can still feel alone. And I think loneliness is also an interesting thing to think about if like, are you really settling your emotions and are you still being angry and you still fit like exercising that anger or are you like really processing? I think it's tough. Like, I think if we're sort of built in a way that, and I think there's a, there's a shift that happens, I believe. And I think there's studies out there to prove that it's about middle school where men and boys start to shift their affect, like they shift really connecting emotionally with their mothers or people in general. There's a certain change that happens there. And I, and I think what you're getting at with this idea of loneliness is if there aren't healthier outlets for a very normal and healthy emotion like anger, Mm -hmm. something that we're not here to say, stop being angry. We're here to say, stop being angry and then violent. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, And I think that's hard to do when we're told that we're not allowed to cry or that we're gay for saying, hey, I'm having a hard time with life right now. Like, I really like this person, but I can't seem to make it work and and it's hurting me. And then they get shut down or something like that. Right. Like those crucial moments, I think, are all part of the training of becoming a hard, emotionless, sex driven and eventually violent dude. So let's go, let's just go back to this question real quick. Is the man box shifting and changing? What are your thoughts on that, Carl? I don't know, man. Like I think there's pockets of it where it's definitely changing. I think, um, when we interact with people and students and ask them, what are the first three things that come to mind when we ask you, what does it mean to be a man? You can legitimately see the hesitation and the thought process of people going, holy crap, like the first thing I wrote down was strength, but after that, it's all like stereotypical shit. And it's just right under the surface there in terms of our understanding of what it means to be a man. So I think there is some level of conscious effort on the part of men to at least try to put less harmful and idiotic things in there. But I don't necessarily see that manifesting behaviorally or in a way that makes a like greater impact or in a way that has men standing up to other men saying and doing things that are harmful. Your thoughts? Yeah. Um, I, I don't think it's changing that much. I think that like the words that are given to you outside the box, like kind of labeling you as something different than being a man, um, has kind of evolved a little bit. I think that comes from like social media and, um, kind of media in general of like, it's like more creative, which is not necessarily better. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's just, I think it's like getting different. Um, in the ways of like, you used to say this, but now you say sissy or like, it's kind of like those 
changes have kind of come arise, but I don't think the words inside the box or like the meanings inside this man box has changed like ever. Cause they're all like, I remember having them be all the same. Yeah. And I don't have an answer to this either. Right. Like we're talking about a very pervasive concept of masculinity that hits infants. Like I do mm-hmm. feel like there's a shaping of what it means to be a man at a very, very adolescent I don't even know what the right word, infant age, yeah. right? Like we hear stories of mothers or fathers being like, oh yeah, that my son's going to be a lady killer. I can already tell. And they're like two months old or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like it's that level of pervasiveness in terms of what the, the, the man box that we're talking about. I don't know what the solution to that is, except mm-hmm. like wake up and don't do that. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think it shapes the way children grow up too. like, oh, he can't wear a dress. Right. Like, or you can't wear makeup or have his nails painted having that being like, oh, he has to wear these like really nice shoes and like kind of like almost having these like children be like have no control over their bodies and like themselves, I think is a way to kind of shape these masculinities and how they show up back into the box. Even the, you you talk about control there, even the control of the media images that they consume, right? Like Mm -hmm. just stop for a moment y'all and look at the TV and see the gendered nature of everything that's marketed towards children or you, us right now. Mm -hmm. Like I think you and I run the danger of believing our socialization as men is over when the fact is like, we are still very much in the process of being socialized. Like we're still being pushed to act a certain way as men. If you listen to our foundation episode, we believe that all of these structures are in place and very, very intentionally so. And so it's going to take a lot of intentional work on our part, both internally and externally to start reversing the process. And that's the hard and I used the term hard here kind of loosely, right? Because being a woman in this country is hard. Being gender nonconforming in this country is hard. And I'm talking about men like saying, don't do that. <laughs> That's not yeah. hard. And like, I think it's important in certain spaces, particularly spaces for all men to talk about how difficult it can be to stand up to some of your boys from time to time. It can be really hard to articulate why you suddenly think the word gay shouldn't be used the way that you and your boys have been using it for the last 10 years. Like there's an element of hard to that, that we as men should support, support each other in processing through. That's not necessarily a thing to process with women in your life. Right. Right. But I think it's important to acknowledge, yeah, this is kind of tough for men sometimes to really try to shift the man box. At this point, we'd like to bring Xavier into the conversation. Say hi to the people's Xavier. Hello. Some of you might hear that name and think, Hey, That sounds familiar. Well, that's because Xavier here actually produces our music for us. So we're eternally grateful for your work, man. Thank you. Thank you, Xavier. Uh, Before we start, can you (laughs) name some of your most salient identities? Yes. Okay. Well, I had to think about that a little bit. Um, And in thinking about it, I kind of realized like an identity is, I don't know, how the world perceives you maybe in a sense and like how you engage with that perception of yourself. So my identities would be, I am a black man. I'm an artist. I am a black feminist. What else? That's awesome. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. Well, as they come, you can keep adding them. So that's, that's the beauty of this thing here. Um, <laughs> and so you heard Jake and I sort of discuss the man box earlier. We wanted to hear some of your thoughts and reactions to that. Um, okay. Uh, a lot of that like really resonated. I don't know necessarily want to say like resonated because I feel like that would imply that like, I like learned something from it, but it was like stuff that I think about a lot. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Where do I go? Yeah. Um, I think it's really interesting that like 
a lot of that kind of outlines what it means to be masculine and white. So it's, I think it's really interesting because like a lot of other marginalized men believe that in emulating those behaviors and in, um, that they will earn their humanity in the eyes of their white men, white male oppressors. But like whenever we do emulate those behaviors, it's perceived and just received different because of that. Like it's easier for people. It seems like it's easier for people to recognize the issues when that presentation of masculinity displayed or enacted by colored bodies. Right. Yeah, I agree. Like when my socialization as a sort of a young Asian American, mixed Asian American boy, I was taught early that I was going to be weak, that I'm effeminate in some way. Like there's a lot of shortcomings there. Right. And so part of my reaction to these messages was to start to fill out this sort of hyper-masculine exterior. And I think I did the inverse. Like I reacted in a way that caused me to retreat inward and try and shrink myself. Even now I notice that like when I feel ashamed, for example, the other day in class, I got to turn in an assignment and it felt like everyone knew. It makes me hate how tall I am. I guess how visible I am. It's interesting because I know that tall definitely ends up in the man box. And so when you frame that in white masculinity, it becomes a good trait. And then the way you shared it, it's kind of a negative one, right? Like, yeah, I hate it. I don't hate it because some, I guess. So, okay. Thinking about it now, the way that tall is associated with masculinity in the man box isn't something that I necessarily associate with myself. So I feel like because I'm tall, people receive or people make assumptions about me. For example, I'm often told that I am relatively attractive (laughs) tall and things. So it's like, because of that, it feels like there's a bunch of pressures for me to just behave and live a certain way when that doesn't fit me at all. I like this concept of how we as men are presented with these ideals that come from the man box, right? And then other people assign values to what those descriptions mean. And being men of color, trying to fulfill those values actually results differently because we have bodies that are not white, right? Opposed to these expectations were laid out for white men. And so when we hit those expectations, we get punched in the face of going (laughs) like, nope, you go back to where you came from. Um, Can I ask who, who tells you that you being tall and attractive is like, who tells you that? Yeah. Can you, I guess, elaborate a little more? Yeah. So I'm thinking like at first, like who, as who, like I, identity wise, who gets to tell you that as like, and I think it almost comes off as from my thinking is that it could be like fetishization or exotification of black men, yeah. um, specifically white people or white women. I, I don't know, but that's where I'm assuming. Um, so I'm well aware that like anyone can say whatever the fuck they want. It's okay to swear. Whatever yeah. the fuck they want to say. <laughs> I bet you all could hear my facial expression. <laughs> Anyone can say whatever they want to me, but it's like up to me whether I want to like listen to and internalize that perception. Or What other ways has the man box sort of impacted your life? The first thing that comes to mind is um, one of those salient identities that I didn't really want to talk about. Okay. Sexuality. Right. Um, wow, I'm a closed book today. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> no, that one either. Okay. <laughs> but um, with the man box, I guess um, I do feel really isolated from a lot of other men and like a lot of other black men. There's a lot that goes into that. I, I guess I was just, I've been socialized. I mean, everyone's socialized differently. Um, so yeah, the man box, 
it's aggressively like heterosexual and i feel like it's like saying it's aggressively heterosexual i feel like that's not enough yeah right it's aggressively <laughs> a lot of things yeah and aggressively white supremacist yeah aggressively yeah. patriarchal which like even saying aggressively like the aggression is in um but the man box because like every like gender has been so naturalized has definitely limited my own personal development as an artist as like a person who it's limited me and so many it's limited everyone in so many ways and like if only we didn't embrace these things so closely people would i feel so stupid don't, i mean don't feel stupid like i feel like <laughs> you said you said it limits yourself as an artist and i was like it limits kind of blown away it yeah. limits everything right i was blown away because i don't think artist ever ends up in the man box ever uh-uh. right it's not a thing that men are supposed to be so it makes sense that it would stunt like your creative growth in a lot of ways and yeah what you raised was really awesome so yeah confidence in yourself <laughs> okay that's good like part of what we're trying to do here is to give men tools on how to do that so i guess my next question is like what are some of the ways in which you resist and deconstruct the man box in your life um so i guess the most recent thing is yesterday in my class media representations of black athletes we were talking about the mizzou protest and how it was led predominantly by black women and got me thinking on like black men really don't return the favor to the the amount of time that we spend in these circles like trying to figure out what is it that black women want from us like what do they need like no one ever just stops to ask like what can i do like what do you want from me rather than like just assuming what and like navigating your maleness by making lists of what not to do and making lists of mistakes and because like i don't know not that you should be doing this but i feel like in some way for me and making lists of what not to do it's like kind of creating like this weird i don't know how to describe i feel like make that's a good start right like if you start eliminating problematic behaviors that you've been asked to eliminate from marginalized groups then you can start filling it filling in the stuff you've eliminated with like positivity and like things that actually matter yeah the point i'm trying to get to is like listening to women yeah just (laughs) like listen speak (laughs) yeah and like recognizing that like, yes, you do contribute. Yes, I do. Yes, if there are men listening to this, you do contribute to heteropatriarchy. But like, because you do that, that doesn't make you any less of a person. Like, you're not a monster by re- by reflecting on and acknowledging and validating your socializations. But you also need to be hold yourself responsible. We need to hold ourselves responsible for like the ways that we have, that we engage. What else do I do? Well, okay, so, like, it's really interesting because, like, in intentionally subverting, like, notions of masculinity and, I guess, white narratives regarding blackness, I feel like that's reinforcing them, in a sense. Like, it's, like, things, okay, this is going to, might get stupid and philosophical, but, like, things only are defined in contrast to what's around them. So, it's, like, in trying to be something other than, like, a stereotype, for example, like, Let's say I want to start wearing suits because white people think that I am, I don't know, informal. So like in me intentionally like resisting this notion of informality, I'm like reinforcing that, yes, this is a real thing that I need to fight against rather than just existing as myself. Yep. So it's like, unfortunately, existing as myself is a means of subverting. But like, unfortunately, me just being myself does resist that but like at the same time i guess in a lot of people's eyes me being myself like reinforces that too so then like me being fashionable and me being ostracized or 
I guess someone highlighting the, that highlights. Ah, oh, man, where's my thought? I feel like you know where I was going. Yeah, it is what struck me is when we're thinking about deconstructing the man box, like football is in there. I actually like football. Like mm-hmm. part of who I am is enjoying watching this game that also reinforces man box stuff. Right. So I don't know how to navigate that. So it's like basically in putting stuff in the man box, you're taking stuff out of a different space. Right. Because the solution to deconstructing the man box, I mean, part of it is taking some of the words that we find in the box for women mm-hmm. and trying to embody some of that because they're complements. We need words and concepts from both boxes in order to deconstruct some of it, but it's difficult. Right. It seems like when people present the man box thing, the takeaway is that we need to include more terms and remove terms from the man box when ideally the man box should be destroyed. Yep. Presenting the man box, it's a good start, but I personally feel like it doesn't go far enough. And a lot of the conversations I've been about the man box, it doesn't get to the point that this isn't even real. This is Yeah. And so earlier we talked we were kind of questioning whether the man box is changing or shifting in any way. Do you think that is the case or no? I can't say. Yeah. That's what we kind of got to. (laughs) Because I only know, I only know certain communities and I only know like how I see certain communities. But so I guess from my gaze, I would argue, not even argue. I would just state that the man box ebbs and flows potentially like with the art that defines. I'm thinking specifically music. When you say ebbs and flows with American art, like, and you talk specifically about, specifically about music, were you thinking about a certain artist who's kind of trying to shift and change? I'm thinking about icons. Okay, say more. So in creating <laughs> these icons, like we're, dehuman, we're dehumanizing people, glorifying them. So like it puts them on this pedestal that is, though like we see it as above human, it's still not human. So it's yep. easier to critique. And what I'm thinking right now, like my little wow moment is that we project so like if there are if there's no essential masculinity, we project what we assume to be the essentials of masculinity onto these dehumanized people who then like live it out. And it's like even if we aren't projecting our own notions, like what you were saying, like when we iconicize masculine figures like musical artists, it essentializes it essentializes who they are, and then we try to aspire to be them, or a lot of people try to aspire yeah. to be them. So there's an aspiration aspect to this man box, this essentialized hyper-masculinity that we have iconicized in musical artists Mm -hmm. that is impossible to attain. And in the same process, dehumanizing those artists who, you know, when we're thinking about it, are mostly men of color in terms of the stuff that we listen to. Yeah. Do you want to do some rapid fire questions? Yeah. Yeah. I have a question for you. Yeah, do it. How does it feel to modify my words? It feels like we're feeding them nutritional packets of knowledge opposed to empty bullshit of capitalism. Like, I think there's a way to, (laughs) to have other people consume us in ways that creates real positive change. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think we as a podcast are going to have to negotiate how not to tokenize identities that we don't hold in the process of trying to understand how masculinity and what it means to be a man plays out in social justice realms. And so I don't totally know if we're ever going to arrive to a solution for that, but we do know that people will be invested in this process of social justice. And if we do it the right way, then they'll want to come and talk. So Xavier, we'd like to ask you a couple unrelated uh, rapid fire questions. Are you okay with that? I don't know if you can hear this, but I'm making another facial expression. (laughs) (laughs) Want me to go first? Sure. All right. What makes you nostalgic? (laughs) 
Well, music definitely because like i store a lot of i store a lot of emotion in the songs that i listen to is there a particular artist that makes you feel that way every single artist i've ever listened to makes me feel nostalgic. okay nice like, i don't know i use music to escape a lot There's okay a lot of escapism what are some other creative inve- endeavors that you have creative endeavors i like take pictures i dropped out of the photo game in four columns it's just dominated by white people and the stuff that i like to do is really technical and now i do have a lot of the resources that i need to create the stuff that i want to do i don't have the time right now but i like poetry i used to draw um what's one thing or something that amuses you really stupid stuff like speaking really close into the mic i was wondering (laughs) if i like i hate the sound of a mouth opening so i was like i wonder if carl would be mad if i like caused because like all y'all do is stick some things in your ears and listen to us like speak at you. So if I was like, <laughs> would your would your viewer base go down? Maybe. <laughs> I think it's really funny. <laughs> uh, what else amuses me? Amuse. I like that. I like. I don't know why. Uh, I just asked it because you kept laughing behind the mic. And so it's like, <laughs> what really amuses you? I'm curious. Uh, I don't know. Kind of an in the moment thing. Okay, for sure. I like tricking people. <laughs> okay. It's amusing. I like riddles. I like puzzles. Mm, okay. I like being tricked too. Okay. <laughs> Noted. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Like just really little stupid thing. Seems like it keeps your spirits up. Okay. I guess so. Yeah. You got a favorite restaurant? Um, no. Okay. I don't really care about I mean, this is rapid fire, so that was rapid. Are you a morning person or a night person? Depends. Like, if I wake up at 6, I'll be a morning person by 10. There you go. <laughs> Am I a night person? Yeah. But sometimes I get grumpy <laughs> and I stay up too late. I feel like, that. Like... I don't know. It's easier for me to be creative in the morning and at night, but like <laughs> in the morning, my stuff is really positive and at night it kind of gets a little angsty. Do you have any tattoos? I do. Do you want to talk about them? So I have a tattoo of my face on my face. <laughs> dumb stuff like that. It's really confusing to me. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, sorry. I was like, where is it? <laughs> I don't see it. It's on my face. All the time. I have this stand around my arm and it's like olive leaves that wrap around my arm. Any significance? Yeah. Well, I don't. Yes. No. Yes. Because I like it a lot. And that's important. Because the the meaning changes like every day. It was like supposed to represent the process of like creation for me. So that was one thing. And another one is that it's like an armband. It's like a cuff to my body because like. I'm literally chronically dissociated. Like I'm just gone. Recently, I've actually kind of figured out how to re-enter my body, but it was supposed to represent like my body being a safe, peaceful place to actually inhabit. I guess hmm, I'm getting sad. Um, being on this campus, I don't feel like I have a place to belong anywhere. I don't really feel like wanted in a lot of spaces, and I don't feel like it's safe to like actually inhabit my body, and I don't feel like it's safe to do that anywhere. So yeah, it sucks. I think that's all we have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for joining us, man. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, Xavier. Thank you. Thanks for tokenizing me for a little bit. <laughs> uh, you're welcome. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. And 
that will do it for this episode of Do You Even Lift Bro? Men Exercising Social Justice. If you had feedback, thoughts, comments, questions, or want to be interviewed for a podcast, please email WGAC at colostate.edu. That's WGAC at C-O-L-O-S-T-A-T-E dot E-D-U. Huge shout out to our partnership between Women and Gender Advocacy Center and KCSU here at Colorado State University for even allowing this podcast to happen. We couldn't do it without them. For more content about masculinities, check out meninthemovement.blogspot.com. And for more information about the WGAC, go to wgac.colostate.edu. For more KCSU content, go to kcsufm.com. This music was produced by Xavier Hadley, a.k.a. Zavley. Check him out at soundcloud.com slash Xavier Hadley. That's X-A-V-I-E-R-H-A-D-L-E-Y. Thanks for listening, y'all. Peace out. Deuces.